right. Good morning, Crossroads Ministries. It's great to be worshiping with you here this morning on Memorial Day weekend. Uh, those of you who are joining us online, I want to thank you for tuning in. And of course, if in the auditorium here with us this morning, would you please stand as we worship, as we sing, as we praise the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen. Please greet your neighbor and greet one another. Say good morning. 
grace be worship with you as we continue on here this morning.
make the Lord this morning.
Welcome to Crossroads. Aren't you glad to be here this morning? Amen. What a great God we serve, folks. What a great God we serve. I'd just like to take a few moments and welcome everyone to Crossroads. If this is your first or second time here, I'd like to invite you to stop by our Welcome Center. We have a gift just to say thank you for coming, and we'd just like to welcome you and get acquainted with you, give you a little bit more information about the church. So please stop by our Welcome Center if you're newer to our church. Also, you can stop by there anytime you have any questions. They will track down the answer for you and help you, all right? Now, just by way of announcements, we have a few things coming up here. We have our car cruise coming up starting on May 30th. That's this Tuesday. So we'll be starting every Tuesday throughout the summer. We'll be having our car cruise here with the exception of July 4th and the week of vacation Bible school. So that'll be May 30th from 5 to 8.30. And then we have our summer movie night coming up. Summer movie night is coming up here. Uh, on June the 23rd, I'm going to encourage you to sign up at the church website. They're going to be showing this movie, Family Camp. It's a comedy, and it'll be a great time for all uh, people of all ages, for everybody in your family. I want to encourage you to invite the community. That's why we do these things. These are here to invite somebody from our community, invite them in. And let people know that, hey, the church up here is alive and there's great things that are happening up here. There'll be bounce houses for your family. There'll be all kind of fun. There'll be a dollar concession stand so that you can feed your family without mortgaging your house. And uh, it'll be a fun time, but it's a totally free night outside the concession stand. So we want to encourage you to uh, to come up and uh, just enjoy the night. Bring a lawn chair, a camping chair, and come up and hang out. That's right around the corner here. And then we have uh, one of our biggest outreaches of the summer coming up. That's our mega sports camp. This is our version of VBS. That's July the 10th through the 14th. So I've asked Chrissy McNeese, our children's ministry director, to come up and share with us a few things of how that you can get involved. All right. Good morning. Um, like Ken said, we have our, uh, we're gearing up for our VBS. And it's going to be a mega sports camp again this year. And it's from the 10th through the 14th, and it runs from 9 o'clock until noon. Uh, we anticipate having um, over 300 kids pre-register for this event. So with that being said, we need lots of volunteers. So um, if you look in your bulletin, you'll see um, an insert in there. Um, and it uh, shows all the different ways that you can plug in and get involved and help out throughout the week. And I know everyone's schedule is different. So um, if you can't be here and help out for the whole week, 
Um, if you can do a day or two or whatever your schedule allows, we'd love to have you. Um, it's a great opportunity to plug in, like Ken said. Um, this is a huge outreach. Uh, we see a lot of kids, a lot of familiar faces, a lot of new faces, and, um, and we have a lot of fun, high energy all week long. Um, but at the center of it all is Jesus, and it's just a great opportunity. Um, so if you're interested in plugging in and helping out and getting involved, I'll be in the back in the lobby afterwards and answer any questions you might have, and uh, hopefully we'll get some volunteers. So, Krista, you're doing much more than sports, right? You're doing music. Yeah. You're doing <laughs> STEM. What's the STEM thing? I don't even know what that means. Oh, okay. Uh, if I get it wrong, I'm sorry. But it stands for science, technology, engineering, art, and math, I think. Um, so we're doing a STEM program, um, and we're going to have – we added art. We added cooking. Um, we added a music and movement. So there's a lot more elements to it than just sports. Not every kid uh, wants to come up here and do sports for a whole week. So uh, we got a lot going on, and there's a lot of different ways to plug in. So, All right. We'd love to have you sign up and help. So fill out that form and see her in the foyer afterwards. There's a little table out there, and uh, she'll be right at the table. I want to encourage everyone to jump on board if you can help us. 300-plus kids will be here. Last year we had 300 in attendance. We're looking to see what God will do. And if we get four or 500, I don't know what we're going to do. But it's going to be wonderful, all right? And uh, they'll be, they'll be eat, you know, I, I told them for the cooking class I'll eat all the mistakes. And so I'll be going down there and helping. No, I'm just kidding. So we're going to have a lot of fun here. It's a wonderful time for all the, all the families here in the church. And it's a wonderful outreach to our community. There are many families that are in our church today because of events like these. So we want to continue to just ask the Lord to bless and encourage as we go along the way. You'll see coming up in your bulletin, Class 201. That's the next step in our growth class. We have a growth track in our church. So if you've uh, taken our new, our new members class, uh, that's uh, Class 101. Class 201 will be starting here on June the 4th. That's next Sunday at 9.30 a.m. You can email Pastor Luke, Luke at crsmin.com, and, uh, and he can get you more information and get you into that class. And I want to say thank you for your faithfulness in giving. You've been so faithful as a church family. As we give unto the Lord, we give of our tithes and offerings. That is a, uh, that is a symbol of spiritual growth. And so as we are growing, that's one of those outward signs, right? So we trust the Lord and we give unto the Lord. So I want to say thank you for your faithfulness in giving. You can give through the offering boxes and on the wall. We have one in the auditorium, one in the foyer. You can give online or you can give through the mail. So we're so thankful for all that God's doing here in our church family. This weekend is Memorial Day weekend, and I thought it'd be appropriate if we would just pause in our service this morning and remember and thank God for, for, the, uh, for the sacrifice that many have made so that we can enjoy the freedoms that we have today. I think our country today is taking it for granted what we have. Wouldn't you say so? And uh, there's a lot that we've taken for granted. It's just natural to do that when things are good. But God has been blessing our country for a long, long time. And uh, today I want to just pause and remember those that gave their lives uh, for our freedom. So uh, I'm going to direct your attention to the screen here. And if you'll watch this and then we'll, we'll pray. Dear Dad, words can't really express what I'm feeling right now, but I thought I'd sit here at your old typewriter for a while and try. Because I learned something new about you today. You see, as I was digging through boxes and boxes of your memories and photos, I found something I'd never seen before. A medal. I knew you had served, but 
I never knew just what you'd sacrificed so that I could be free. I've always been amazed and inspired by what you were able to accomplish, but not until today do I think I've ever felt this level of gratitude. You faced your enemies and the very real possibility of death because you knew that someone had to. In the face of fear and uncertainty, you didn't turn from the fight because you saw that our freedom had to come at a cost. For me, for all of us. You understood that the deepest demonstration of love was to give your life for someone else. And I realized that all through my life, you've always been my hero because you simply are a hero. I know you'd never call yourself that, and it's okay, because you never had to. That's what I wanted to say to you, and to all those who served. We remember your sacrifice, and we say thank you. Thank you for your service, and thank you for giving everything that we might experience life. Gratefully, yours. Let's stand together this morning and just have a moment of silent prayer and just thanking God for our country. Thank God for those that have given their lives and just ask the Lord to be upon those that are presently suffering this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and then I'll pray after just a few moments of silence. Our Father and our God, we come before you, Lord, and we thank you for this land that you've given to us, the United States of America. God, we ask that you will put your healing hand upon this land, Lord. God, I ask that as you create this movement of people that are going to be following you, that we will go out and we will impact this world and we'll change this land for God Almighty. Lord, I thank you right now for those folks that have gone out and given all, Lord. We thank you for all of our service men and women who have served in, in for our country and defended our freedom and, and paid the price of sacrifice. But, Lord, today we stand here and we remember those that gave all. That sacrifice of their life, Lord, for their families are missing, missing a dad, missing a mom, sitting at the table today, a brother or sister, because, because they gave their life in service to our country. God, we stand in awe of who you are, and I just ask that you put your hand upon everybody uh, that is the suffering today, Lord, and may they sense your presence and your power. Lord, we honor those lives that have been taken uh, in, in the line of duty and service for our country, but we honor you most of all, Lord, and we thank you for what you have done in this great land. God, we lift up our church family to you right now, Lord, as we continue to, to sing and praise your holy name, Lord, as we, uh, as we look now to the next step of our service where we honor you through singing and then we honor you through the word, Lord. I pray that you would just allow the people of God to bless you. You said in your word, Lord, to bless the Lord, oh, my soul. And so, Lord, not only do you bless us, but we get to bless you. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, by our praise. And so, God, as we sing this next song, would you allow every heart in this congregation to tune in to the presence of God, to tune in to God Almighty, and to worship you, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we will give you the honor and the glory. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
pointing to that. Amen. You may be seated. studying the but God statements of the Bible, when you look into the, a phrase and you see this contrast, you see there was something going on, but God stepped in. And I, folks, the reason we're studying this is because it shows so much about who God is. It tells us his character, and we see so much of, uh, of our lives, because every day in our life, we need those but God moments. We need but God to step in. And today we're going to talk about one that I think is a, a pretty powerful one. It's from Psalm chapter 73. Verse 26, I'm going to give you the but God statement right up front, and then we're going to, we're going to work back from there and look at this, what's all in this statement here. Uh, verse 26 there, Psalm 73, verse 26. Let's read it aloud together. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So as we look at this statement, it's a powerful verse. This is one of those verses to memorize. There's going to be a couple verses that I would encourage you in this passage this morning to memorize. But my flesh and my heart may fail, but God. And I, you know what? I think that many, many of us are going through those moments right now where my flesh and my heart may fail, but God has to step in. But God is the strength of my heart. Who was the author of this statement? Who was the person who said it? Well, his name is Asaph. And so Asaph, uh, you don't hear much about Asaph. You don't hear many sermons on this guy, Asaph. Asaph was a musician. He was the chief musician, one of the, one of the head leaders of the, of the music in Israel. And uh, there were certain Levites that were appointed to continually give praise and thanks to the Lord. And so that's what they did. Around the clock, they were in charge of making sure that there was praise and thanksgiving being given to the Lord. And so they did this through music, uh, through song. And so Asaph, he was in charge, if you go over the First Chronicles 16.5, you'd find out that he was in charge of the symbols. So I, I always say he's like, a, like Kyle and Xavier back there. They like it loud, you know what I mean? Boom, 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 right? So he's got the loud symbols, and so he's, uh, he's praising the Lord. And so this was his job. What a job to be able to come in and play music all week long unto the Lord and to lead other musicians into the, into the presence of the Lord God and to lead a country into the Lord God. But what he does here, he makes a statement, and we see at the end of his psalm that, that he has written, he says, though my heart may fail. So here's even a guy who's serving the Lord, and in the middle of serving the Lord, he says, man, even though my heart may fail, 
even though I'm a Levite, even though I'm of the, of the tribe that is dedicated to serving the Lord, I'm on the music side, and here I am, I'm serving the Lord. Uh, even though my heart may fail, God is the one who's my strength. So what does he do in the very first verse of this psalm that he has written? He starts out in verse 1, though. He starts out with the goodness of God. He says, uh, and that's the first point in your notes this morning, is the goodness of God. He goes back and he starts out with the goodness of God. Psalm 73, 1 says, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. So in other words, God is good, and there's nothing in him that is not good. And so for us, this is a principle where we've got to start with. And Asaph tells us that. He says that he started out knowing the goodness of God. And folks, God is always good. We see it all over the scripture. And this is one of the characteristics of God. If we will put this into our heart and lay this as a foundation on our soul, it will help you through everything that you face in your life. The goodness of God. God is always, always good. When Moses met up with God, Moses was, uh, was, you know, had to deal a lot with God. And God had him up there talking to him through the burning bush and uh, giving him the Ten Commandments. He gets up on the mountain, uh, on Mount, uh, Mount Sinai, and Moses says here in Exodus 33, he says to the Lord God, he says, I pray, God, show me your glory. Now, this is very interesting because in response to asking for his glory, he doesn't say, I'll show you my glory. Look what God says in verse 19. He says, I myself, God says, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. In response to asking for the glory of God, God says, I'm not even going to let you see my glory. I'm going to let you see my goodness. And the goodness of God is such a deep character of who he is. It is, it is a string of everything in the character of God. And so what happens in our life, we start looking and we say, well, you know, God's not good because this, type of, this thing has happened in my life or because I'm struggling with that, or because there's some sort of brokenness that, that we can't comprehend. Well, folks, God is always, always, always good. And he says right there in this verse, and I think it's so important, because out of the goodness of God flow his grace and compassion. And it's very interesting, because I think God is even telling Moses right there from the beginning, you won't totally comprehend my goodness, but let me tell you, I will be gracious on who I'll be gracious and I'll be compassion on who I will show compassion. But I am always, always good. You've got to understand that he's always good. Uh, the psalmist uh, in other areas says this, Psalm 119 says, You are good, and what you do is good. Teach me your decrees. Oh, the Lord is always, always good. James 1.17 in the New Testament echoes something similar. It says, Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. It comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. So, so we, see that we see this character of the goodness of God. Everything that happens that is good in your life has come from God. Man, you say, man, uh, some people sit there and say, man, I've lived a good life. I've had a good life. God's been good to me. Yes, God has been good to you. God is the one who does the work. God is the one who, who brings forth his, his will in your life. And God is always good, even when you're struggling to see the goodness of it. 
God is always good. And so this is where our struggle comes in. When Jesus was asked, Jesus was asked by the rich young ruler. They said to him, uh, why, uh, Jesus asked him in, over in Mark 10, 18, the, uh, he came up, the, this person came up to Jesus and said, well, you're, you're a good teacher, you're a good rabbi. And Jesus responds back and says, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. And so what he was saying, he says, look, you just called me God. You said that I'm good, you just called me God. So he's identifying himself as God. There is no one that is good but God. So all the goodness that happens in our life comes from God. There's good things that are happening in your life. There's good about you. I mean, our sin has made us terribly wretched, but when you come to Christ, part of the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, happiness. Goodness is one of those fruits of the Spirit. So God has given you this goodness that comes out. And so as this goodness, this, this kindness, this good nature of God comes out in our life, it's going to, you've got to understand it comes from God himself. If everything God does is good and all his acts are the outflowing of his goodness, it would seem that there are, that his attributes would, embra- that all the other attributes would embrace this. And I want you to think about that because, because the goodness of God is a foundation upon all the other attributes. Throw up this next picture. Anybody ever play this game? Jenga? Isn't that a fun game? My wife went out to Aldi's. You know, that's a dangerous place to go, Aldi's. She's supposed to get asparagus, and she comes back with one of these. But she gets a life-size version of it. Like, you know, it's not, I can't put it in a can. i got this big box sitting in the living room. I'm like, what am I going to do with it? She goes, well, you know, our kids are adults now. We have to do this. And I'm like, okay, we're new at this adult kid thing, right? So, so we're going to play this Jenga game on Memorial Day, right? You know, if you take out the bottom right corner there, what's going to happen to that game? It's going to fall down. The goodness of God, he's always good. And here's what happens. Many people will come and they will take that out and they'll say God's not good. And then all the attributes fall from there and they can't comprehend anything else about God because they say that he's not good. And they say it because they have interpreted some life circumstance. And let me tell you, folks, God is always good. And you can't take the goodness of God out. It's not like, hey... The enemy is going to flick out the goodness of God, and all of a sudden, God's going to not be there for you. God is always, always, always good. The psalmist struggled here. Asaph struggles with that. Psalm 73, we're going to go to 1 and 3. He says, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. As for me, I almost slipped. I almost lost my way. My steps had almost slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And so here's what Asaph tells you. He gives you that but God statement at the end. and the beginning, he says, let me tell you, God is good but me. God is good, but here's what I'm seeing. God is good, but as for me, my feet, I almost lost my way. I almost gave up. I almost lost faith. Why? Because I looked out and I saw these wicked people that were getting ahead, and it looked like God was giving them more blessing than he gave me. Why would God do that? And what he was doing is he was getting caught up in what is known as the comparison game. And we all get caught up in the comparison game from time to time. 
we all go out and we begin to look at what other people have to have that you don't have. And pretty soon, this jealousy and envy. He says, I was envious of the arrogant. This jealousy and envy begins to build up in our heart. And we begin to make a wrong conclusion about God because of my jealousy, because of my envy. Asaph caught himself playing that game. And envy, jealousy, those are two of the most destructive words, two of the most ugliest words in the English language. Um, They're two of the most destructive human emotions are jealousy and envy. Uh, Through the years, I can give you story after story of people where jealousy and envy has caused them to self-destruct, where they have, man, just their whole life was consumed about being the best, about getting ahead, and it didn't matter even if they were the best, that they just had to be better than you. And that's what that is. Os Guinness states this about this topic. He says, traditionally, envy was regarded as the second worst and second most prevalent of the seven deadly sins. Like pride, it is a sin of the spirit, not of the flesh, and thus a cold and highly respectable sin. In other words, it's one of those sins that people don't talk about. In contrast to the warm and openly disreputable sins of the flesh. Uh, like pride, by, by its very nature, it is comparative and competitive. Or more precisely, pride is competitive and envy is the result of pride wounded in competition. Envy is the result of pride wounded in competition. So this is, this is where we struggle, don't we? Somebody's gotten ahead of you. Why did they get the promotion? I'm the one who's following God. I've been reading my Bible. I've been going to church. God, why is it that that guy got the promotion and now they're going to lay me off? Why, God? And so this is what happens. We, we get into the struggle, and what is happening is the problem is really not that God was not good. The problem is that I'm not understanding what God's doing, and now I'm in the struggle. And so my, my jealousy, my envy, man, I, I lost the competition of, well, why did he get it? Why is he better than me? C.S. Lewis said this. He said that pride is essentially competitive. Mm, isn't that so true? Pride is essentially competitive. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something only out of having more of it than the next man. That's what pride is. Pride is not, hey, I've got this. It's I've got more than the next person. He goes on and he states that, uh, you know, uh, that many times people aren't prideful that they're rich. They're prideful that they're richer than you. And, uh, you know, there's a, there's a little bit of truth to that, isn't there? Uh, you know, we're going to go to Ecuador and we're going to see people that are poor. And it's amazing how we can say, oh, those poor people. And then we come back because, well, we, we have it okay. And, uh, and this, is, this is where pride, pride struggles in. It's an essentially competitive issue. Envy is not simply about what we lack. It's about what they have. And so you can look at, at you can become envious, not because of what you're lacking. It's so much like, why did they get that? They don't deserve that. I deserve that. And so we go into this, and we have this comparison game. Folks, the, the answer for the comparison game has got to come back to knowing that God is good. Here's what happens. When I don't know that God is good, first of all, I stop praising God. That's the first thing that goes. You'll stop praising. Your praise will just drop off, and so will your joy. 
Um, if you are um, into this jealousy and envious and, and you don't understand that God is good, boy, that jealousy and envy will take over and you will stop praising. If you go to Psalm 100, verses 1 through 5, you'll find out that Psalm 100, 1 through 5 is all about praising the Lord. He says, make a joyful noise, make a joyful shout to the Lord, all the earth, all the lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Um, Into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. And then verse 5, the last verse of that psalm says, For the Lord is good. That, see, that's the whole, that's the Jenga game. That's the, that's the foundation. The Lord is good. Why do you praise? Because the Lord is good. Why do we serve Him with gladness? Because He's good. The goodness of God invading our life. And so we've got to come back. We've got to place that there. The Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. Because He's good, His mercy is everlasting. His truth, because He's good, His truth endures for all generations. And I'm so thankful for that truth, that the truth endures for all generations. Amen? God's truth endures not just from something that I was taught as a kid here, but it will endure outside of my lifetime, beyond my grandchildren, whatever human history is left. God's word will endure forever. And he says here, listen, it's all because of his goodness. So therefore, I should be praising the Lord. I've got to come back and I've got to praise him over and over. When I don't know that God is good... I stop trusting God. That's the next thing. I stop trusting God. It's, it's just so easy to happen. Man, uh, because I saw this particular e- event, I saw some pain in life, I saw brokenness that I could not comprehend, therefore I begin to think that God is not good and I don't trust Him anymore. Folks, if you want to grow in your faith, you've got to understand that God is good because trust is where it's at. You don't have any relationship without trust. And if you take out the goodness of God, I know right now, in any given given moment in our church, people are going through issues that they are questioning the goodness of God. And when you come back and understand that he's good, you can still trust him. You see, whenever you stop trusting is whenever the problem will come. Uh, When I don't know that God is good, I lose hope. I lose hope. That's the, the next thing there. I lose hope. And so whenever you don't know that God is good, you begin to lose hope. And I'll tell you what, hope is so important. You've got to have hope. Um, uh, let me explain to you what hope is. I started walking in the park. All right, there's hope, right? My wife and I, we started walking. Now that it's uh, 70 degrees, low humidity, it's, you know, I'll see if I can do it more than two weeks. But I, I told my wife, I said, hop in the car, we're going walking. She goes, you're going to go walking? And I said, yes, I will grace you with my presence. You can even bring your dog if you like, honey. So, so we get down there, and we, you know, I park down there at the end, and I said, we're going to do one mile. That's it. Because these legs, they just need to be reconditioned. And so I'm reconditioning now, right? <laughs> Not that they were ever conditioned, but I'm going to recondition them, right? So I start walking. And as I start walking, I know the point, like I know a half mile in, because if I walked a whole mile out, she would have got me for two miles. 
So I know what I can handle. And I said, I'm going to go down there to the one-half-mile mark, and I'm going to come back. And as I'm walking, let me tell you, oh, I mean, like, there was pain. There was, there was pain that I know that I should not be experiencing, right? And I'm going down there, and as I'm looking down there, I see, I see that point. And you know what was hope for me? There's a bench right by the halfway point. I'm looking, and I see that bench, right? So literally, I'm walking, and I'm like, you know, because you, everybody starts off good, don't you? You start off like, yeah, I am like swinging my arms, you know. I'm like Richard Simmons down there. I'm having a ball, right? So I'm going down, minus the span sweats. Anyhow, so anyhow, I'm running down. I'm, I'm like moving, and then I'm like, oh, I'm hitting the halfway mark. I think I'm going to die. And I see that black bench there, and it's like 200 feet before the light. And she sees, the, she sees me eyeing up the bench. She goes, aren't you going to go all the way to the light? I said, no, I'm going to the bench. Okay? But that was my moment of hope. And when you have hope, you can move forward, right? So then I get out there, and i got to do another half mile to come back to make the whole mile. And if I want to have dinner tonight, i got to come back to do that, right? So I got, you know, they're not going to bring McDonald's on the roadside. I'm not McDonald's. Just kidding, right? Anyhow, so they're, they're, here I am. I'm coming back, and I'm walking. I'm like, oh, my goodness. So I'm coming back, and then I have another hope marker on the way back. And I'm like, okay, there's actually like ten benches on that trail. And I look at all those markers, and, and then as I'm coming, I can see my car. And I'm like, oh, yeah, there's hope. I can make it. And you see, that's what hope is. I can make it. There's just one more step. Um, you know, I, I can't see the end all the time, but I can see about a, a little bit in front of me. And I know that God is always good. And when you understand that, look what the psalmist said here. The psalmist says, I would have lost heart. Psalm 27, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I would have lost hope. I would have lost heart unless I would have believed that I saw the goodness of God while I'm alive. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. You see, this is where Asaph was on his journey. He was losing heart. You go and you look in, uh, in, Ace, uh, in uh, Psalm 73, he almost gave up hope. Verse 3, he's almost given up hope. Um, if you go and you read Psalm 73, verses 4 through 15, they talk about the anger that he experienced. Asaph talking about anger, man. He's going on about this anger and this jealousy and this bitterness. Psalm 73, 4, for there are no pains in their death. He's talking about the enemy. There are no pains in their, ba- and their, and their death and their body is fat. They are not in trouble as other men nor are they plagued like mankind. Oh, they've got it good. They're eating well. Everything's wonderful. God, why am I in so much pain? Verse 13 and 14, Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. So this is the tough part. He says, Did I follow you, God, in vain? God, I, I got up and I've been clanging symbols to your name. I've been worshiping you. I'm part of the Levite tribe. I, did I do this in vain? Surely in vain I must have kept a pure heart and washed my hands in innocence. For I have been stricken all day long and chastened every morning. And he's becoming mad at God. And why is he mad at God? Well, first of all, he wants what others have. And second of all, he deserves. He thinks that he deserves what others have. But God is always good. 
God is always good. So I want to ask you this morning, what are you angry about? Anger is a natural emotion, isn't it? When there's a problem, there's something that, that, that drives that anger. And the way that, the way that he dealt with this here was he came and, and he took those situations and he came before God. And as he came before God, God got a hold of his heart. And folks, I want to encourage you, take that anger, whatever anger is swelling up in you. You may be angry because of things that are not happening in your life. You may be angry because this world's gone awry. Uh, listen, right now the world is, is spiraling out of cycle. But let me tell you, it's been spiraling out of cycle. And it will continue to spiral out of cycle till Jesus comes, the Prince of Peace. And when the Prince of Peace arrives on this earth, all the problems will cease. But it will not happen until he is, is, has come in his final moment of strength and power and glory. But for now, God's allowing us to live this history with him. Well, he's with us. Uh, in verses 16 through 22, Asaph moves from anger to pity. And this is what, what we have to do. We have to move from anger to pity. Now you have compassion. Um, when I pondered to understand this, verse 16, I was, it was troublesome in my sight until, until I came into the sanctuary of God. Then I perceived their end. Here's what he was doing. He had them perceiving their presence. And then when he's, he's mad, he's angry, he's, the bitterness is welling up. He's dealing with emotions towards God over it. He's not understand. He knows the goodness of God, but he doesn't know it down here. And he is really struggling with it. And as he's struggling with it, why, are, why does that happen to them? And then he comes into the sanctuary of God. Listen, he'd been in the sanctuary doing music. What he's saying is, I got into the safe place of God. I got into the presence of the Almighty, and the Almighty helped me to perceive their end. You look at the wicked and you wonder, well, why are they getting ahead? Why are they getting the job promotion? Why do they have health? Why do they have this? And God says, listen, uh, I want you to understand their end. Their end is but destruction. Their end is but destruction. You know, today people will often do the comparison game. It's called social media, right? You pull out social media and it's like, man, I'm comparing the present. You know, what did you do last night? Where did you go for the weekend? Well, yada, 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 yada. Right? Well, let me tell you, there's another website where you, can, where you can get a little different perspective. And you can look at the end. It's called tribute.com. And it's a list of every obituary. We'll all, every, you know, if you have Facebook, everybody will end up on tribute.com one day, right? Because we will all die one day. And when you look at the end, look at the end of life. And I want you to think about that because our end is radically different from those that don't have Christ. Our end is just the beginning of a whole new life for us. Our end is the beginning of eternity. Our end is a whole new thing that God is going to uh, show you in a, uh, a world of life eternal, a world of joy, peace, no more, no more pain, no more suffering. Our end is radically different than those that do not have God. And I want to encourage you to be, be like Asaph. Asaph moved from anger, then he moved to pity because he says, man, then I perceived their end. Verses 23 through 28, he turns from bitterness to pity. And then he turns from pity and compassion. Now he moves to gratitude. And this is the game changer. That's how you get rid of bitterness. You move from anger 
to pity. You've got to look. look. He's looking at the enemy. He went from angry because the enemy's getting ahead. Now he pities them because of their end. Folks, that's what God's called us to do, to look at our world around us and not be angry, but to be pity and compassion. There are so many things that, listen, we are on the victory side. We're on the winning team. But God has not called us to go out there and be angry people. He's called us to look at that, to look at the sin, and as God is angry at sin, he's compassionate towards every one of us. And now we pity their end. And for us, we have this incredible opportunity to go out and give the good news that will change the lives of all the wicked. That will change the lives of all who are not following Jesus. Because he said, whosoever will, will, that's who he wants. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved from the punishment of their sin. They can have life eternal. Look here, he says, nevertheless, I am continually with you. You have taken hold of my right hand with your counsel you will guide me and afterwards receive me to glory look at my end their end now look at my end and whom have i in heaven but you and beside you i desire nothing on earth and i'll tell you this not only did he look at their end he looked at he looked at his present in a whole different light now. What he does in those three verses, uh, nevertheless, I'm continually with you. He says, God is with me. God is with me. Man, and when you all right, start putting this together. All right, look at, look, at your, look at the world out there. Oh, they've got money. They've got fame. They've got popularity. They've got the job. They've got whatever it is that you desired. But you have God with you. He said, uh, he said, you've taken hold of my right hand. God holds my hand. God is holding your hand every step of the journey. Not only is he with you, he is holding your hand. That's a term of endearment. He wants a relationship with you. You don't just hold somebody's hand without a relationship. Man, I'll never forget the day I held my wife's hand. I just grabbed that thing. Listen, come on, you're coming with me, right? Listen, that's what God does like a father to his son. Come on, I've got you. With your counsel, you will guide me. He guides me. God guides me. And so look at the radical difference between you and the lost person, somebody who does not know God. Folks, it is but God is the one who is the provider. But God is the one who has provided. As you look through Scripture, you'll see over and over and over that God is the one who's providing. And so all the way back whenever... Abraham goes up on the mountain to sacrifice his son. God says, I want you to sacrifice your son for no other reason than to test his faith. And God wasn't going to let him go through with it, but Abraham had no clue of that. And he goes up there, and his son begins to ask him, God, where, uh, uh, Dad, where is the sacrifice? Dad, where's the sacrifice? You're taking us up here. It's just me and you, Dad. The servants are all down below. It's just me and you and, uh, and your knife. What are we doing up here? Where's the, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham, at Genesis 22.8, says, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So they walk up this mountain, and he says, okay, God's going to provide. And what happens is he's about ready to sacrifice his son. God halts him from the sacrifice, and all of a sudden there is a sacrifice over in the thickets. And Abraham, look what he does. Abraham, verse 14 there. Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. 
as it is said today, in this day, in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. God sees that the Hebrew word there is Jehovah Jireh, and it means God sees, God provides. So God not only knows your need, he sees it, and he meets it. And so this has been the lesson where we find but God surprise in the scripture. Look here. Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. Read verse 26 with me. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the, glory, have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Folks, this is what God has done. God will always provide. And so as you're looking, you can trust God as your provider. As you're seeing life and you're wondering what's going on, remember, like the author of Hebrews says, he says, live contently. I love this. Live contently. Hebrews 13.5. Go out and don't just live, but live in contentment. For the Lord himself has said, I will not leave you. I will not desert you, nor will I forsake you. God's not left you out there on the path alone. And so today, we come and we can learn the lesson like Asaph learned. God, my heart, I know it up here, but God, I'm struggling down here. Though my heart may fail, but God, but God is my strength. And folks, I want to encourage you today. Would you just call on to the Lord today? Maybe some of you, this is a timely message. Maybe there's things that, are, that, that, that you're wrestling with. And listen, I'm not saying, hey, the wrestle's going to be over. I'm saying that God's going to be your strength. And we have a different future than those who do not know God. Let's go proclaim his glory so that they, too, now instead of us being envious of the wicked, we now are pitiful, we are compassionate, and we are helping them as to join worship to our great God. Let's close in prayer. With our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, this all is about Jesus. Uh, The greatest provision was when Jesus died on the cross and he paid for your sin. He came back to life again for you. And I want to invite you today to trust Jesus Christ. Like that's why he came. He paid the price so that you could have eternal life. And he says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved from the punishment of their sin. They'll have life eternal. They'll have an abundant life that starts now. So I want to invite you to trust Jesus because he paid, on the, paid the price on the cross for you. And all you have to do is call on him and say something like this quietly in your heart and soul. Dear God, I'm a sinner. I've offended your holiness by my sin. But I believe that you died on the cross. Jesus, you paid for my sin. You were buried, and you rose again the third day. And I trust you with my heart and soul right now. Thank you, God, that you are so good to care and love for me. And for others in this room this morning or watching online, maybe, maybe God's speaking to you about something in your heart. You're wrestling. You're wrestling. Asaph was wrestling. But God, 
but God gave him the strength. Asaph was wrestling, but God gave him the strength. And I want to invite you today to surrender to God. Say, God, help me. I've been angered, but now, Lord, I'm moving to compassion. And I want that gratitude like you gave Asaph. God, I pray you'll be with each person here and that you'll move mightily and that you'll do what only you can do in our hearts, Lord. We love you and we praise your holy name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing our closing song and just worship our great God. Crossroads Ministries, it's great to worship with you. Have a great Memorial Day weekend.